For those of you that don't know me, it's been a long time since I've spoken. Um, since then, I've gone through phase one and phase two of Christ's life. And yeah, Christ's life. You feel like you deserve a medal just for going through it. And all of you that have done it agree. Um, it will either make you drink less or more. No, no, it'll make you drink less. Just kidding. Uh, so, that was terrible. Ah, the truth comes out. Um, so, um, done that, it's awesome. If you haven't heard of Christ's life or you have thought about doing it and you don't know if you should, you should because most of us are in a season of life where we will probably have no better time in our life to invest in our health, in our wholeness. And the earlier you decide to do that and you decide to get whole, the more the rest of your life looks better and feels better and is more of what God wants for you instead of what we think we want and we screw up. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Camille Knopf. Um, my, I was thinking about who I am and my little about me and Really at this point, my identity, I mean, who I really am is a daughter of God. I mean, that's, that's who I am. That's the thing about me that will never, ever, ever change, no matter what changes around me. Even if the whole world gets wiped off and I'm the only person left standing, I'll still be a daughter of God. Um, but I have many fun roles. I have a career. I'm a horse veterinarian and I'm a vet. I do horses. I don't do them, I treat them. And um, I drive, I, I'm trying to calm down. I have a lot of adrenaline right now. <laughs> I'll start going. Um, so I, I drive to people's ranches and people's farms. I actually drive a truck. Um, and I drive to people's farms and ranches and I treat their horses on the farm. And I love it. And I don't just love it because I love horses, but I actually love it because I find people really fascinating. And if you have a job where you go to people's homes, people behave better in public, I think, than they do at home most of the time. And so you go to people's homes and you're in their intimate setting in their home, you see all these traits of people. I mean, I just saw Coleman. I'm sure he knows what I'm talking about with massages. <laughs> but you go to people's homes and you see, you see things that you would never otherwise see. Um, and I love it. I find it really fascinating. Um, I'm a wife. I've been married to Eric Knopf for nine years this summer. It's a long time. I know. It's been good. It is the best choice I've ever made uh, was to marry Eric. Um, my life would look very different if I hadn't married him. I'm, and I'm also a mother. I have, uh, we have a daughter, Scarlett. She is adorable. I think I have a picture of her. Uh, and uh, this picture actually isn't just because I want to show off my very cute girl, but it actually kind of illustrates something that I'm going to talk about tonight. How many of you know that social media is really fake? Like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. In fact, I bet a lot of you are pretty fake on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, because we put pictures of our lives that really kind of illustrate the way we want people to think about us, right? Because we get to control it. And I laugh when I look at this photo because if I was looking at this photo on somebody's Facebook, I would think, oh, what a cute girl, of course. And then I'd go, oh, how nice. Her, 
mom maybe took her to, paid for her to do a pony ride at the fair, or maybe she's privileged enough and she owns her own pony and she went on a ride. And I mean, those things are great, but to be honest, that would be really faking it in this photo because this photo was taken on Monday of this week. And the story behind the photo is uh, Scarlett and I were at home and I was playing with Scarlett and I had this client call. And she says, oh, Dr. Camille, my horse, it's leg, it's like blood, there's pus, it's terrible, I'm really stressed out. Can you come out today? And I said, well, I'm with Scarlett today, you know, Scarlett and I are hanging out, so you're either gonna have to call this other vet or if you want me to come out, I can come out if I can bring Scarlett. And then someone at your farm can kind of watch her while I take care of the pony. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. So Scarlett and I get in the vet truck and we drive out to the pony farm and the client takes her and I'm treating the horse and the client puts her on one of the other ponies there. And here's Scarlett on her pony ride. We're six feet away from this picture. I'm massaging pus out of this horse's leg. And the horse is like shaking and like wanting to fall over and people are like shrieking and gagging in the bushes and I'm massaging all this pus out of this leg. And then here's Scarlett on her pony ride. And so it just makes me laugh because I think about, oh, and then you also say we want her to look like she's riding on her own. And then you could see down there that's the client hiding behind the horse holding her on. So it's just an illustration of life can kind of look fake sometimes on social media but you can take down the photo now. Um, so tonight, tonight we are finishing up on our series on the character of God. Um, normally I'm kind of just given the podium and allowed to spew whatever, but tonight I actually get the privilege of kind of finishing up the series we've been doing. And we've been doing it over the course of a matter of weeks, I think even months at this point, and we've been basing it on two passages in scripture. One is 1 John 4, 8, which says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then we look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through eight, and it says, love is patient. I think I, we even have that verse somewhere. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So we take these two passages in scripture, saying God is love, and then we look at this scripture on love, and we could say, well, if God is love, and love is all these things, then God is all these things, and these are all attributes of who God is. This is his essential character. And I was thinking about it as I was kind of writing my talk and kind of figuring out, you know, what God wanted me to say tonight, and I was thinking, why is it that important to spend so much time, and we've spent weeks and weeks now studying the character of God, I mean, if you read the Bible, you'll see some pretty good examples of maybe the way we should live our life. There are Christians that like to pick things from the Old Testament. Ah, oh, this law applies today. You know, honor your mother and father, you know, or this doesn't apply today. And there's laws and all kinds of things that you can find in the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, Matthew 22, 37 to 40 is pretty clear. 
love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And what I figured, the reason it is so, so important that we understand the character attributes of God and we have these traits sealed on our heart as a rock foundation for everything we do is because when something comes our way, we always filter it through whatever is in our heart. And if we have these attributes of God as the foundation in our heart, that's what we will filter all our circumstances through. So you could, something crappy happens because crappy things happen to all of us sometimes. And we can sometimes go, well, was that God? Did God give me this crappy circumstance? No, because God is kind. Or we feel lost and alone. We feel like, has God left us? Has he forgotten me? Does he not know who I am anymore? No, because God always perseveres. When I sin, is God mad at me? No, because God's not easily angered and he keeps no record of wrongs. If we have these attributes of God sealed in our heart, it's gonna change the way our whole life goes because we're actually having truth as our filter rather than whatever filter we have. And here's the deal. If you don't have these things as the foundation in your heart, you have something else. Because even if you just choose to passively live life and not really study anything and not really bother with what's truth and what's not and just kind of go with the flow, there is something that's the foundation of your heart. And I can promise you that the substance of your life will be different, whether it's truth or whether it's false. So here we are. We're finishing this series, The Character of God. We're laying this foundation of God so that he's not twisted, he's not misunderstood, so we're not filtering things through our own eyes. But here's what was my other question before I started this. Because I'm a student, and for those of you that have, are in college, you've ever been a student, I'm, well, I'm not currently a student like formally in school. I kind of wish I was sometimes because they just tell you what to do and then you do it. But uh, I'm an expert student. And I remember, I don't know if any of you can relate to this. I remember there'd be a test and I would study maybe the night before, or maybe I'd study for a few days, or if it was a really huge test, I'd study for weeks and I'd study and study and study. And I'd take the test and I'd do really well on the test, regurgitate everything I studied. Well, sure enough, a few days later, what happens? You start to forget everything you studied. I know for me, like, I look back at college, I know certainly for Eric, because we've talked about it, he doesn't remember anything from college. <laughs> and I remember maybe a little bit more <laughs> than he does. But we took all these exams, and we passed all our, you know, tests, and we got our diplomas, and we don't remember that much. So I was like, well, I could be studying this all day long. How do I know that this is going to be something that carries with me for the rest of my life? What makes something what makes something really stick with me for life? Because there's the stuff you learn in academia, but the stuff of eternity and the things of God, I really want to have with me forever. And the things that stuck with me through my academic career were the things that I meditated on, but even more importantly, they were the things I saw in action that then permanently sealed themselves inside of me. You can listen, you can read, but until you take intentional action to get it into your heart, as soon as you're in the fire, as soon as you're in a moment where you're being tested or you're asked for it, you're not gonna have it anymore. I can give you a really practical example. I'll also enlighten you something about the veterinary world. I said I was a horse vet, but actually all veterinarians have to take the same exact licensing boards to get their license. 
and you have to get a licensing board through um, the, the national boards, the country, and then you also have to get a separate board exam that you have to pass through the individual state that you're working in. And so whether or not you're a bird vet, or a hamster vet, or a cat vet, or a horse vet, we all take the same exact exam. And if you pass and you get your license, we actually are all legally allowed to perform surgery, prescribe medication, and basically diagnose disease in any type of animal on the face of this earth. So legally, I could do surgery on a tiger, or I could do surgery on a hamster. And that would be really scary because I'll be honest, I really know nothing about them at this point. <laughs> but I can legally do it. And so anyways, like my other colleagues in the veterinary world, we had our board exams, and so we study all about what we have to know about these other animals to pass the exam. So I take the exam, I pass, I get my license, I graduate from vet school, and I get my first job. Well, the only job I was able to find in the local area was a job that was 80% treating horses and 20% treating other animals. And I remember telling my boss when she hired me, I was like, just let you know, I don't really want to touch any of the other animals. I only want to do horses. And she's like, you'll be fine, I'll help you. you won't, it won't even be that much, the other animals. I'm like, okay, because I have like forgotten everything regarding other animals. Well, sure enough, I get a call to doctor, they call me Dr. Knopf, to Dr. Knopf to come out to a pig farm. Well, I have never been on a pig farm in my entire life. I don't even really know what a pig farm looks like, but here I am being called. We have pig farms here in Sacramento, just so that you know. So I get called out to this pig farm, where these pig farmers who have been farming pigs for generations, they know more about pigs than anybody. They certainly know more about pigs than I do. But here I am, the doctor, and I show up, and they need me to sign off on all these health certificates for all these pigs. Basically, I've examined them, confirmed they're healthy so they can go to a fair or wherever they were going. Probably to be slaughtered, I don't know. Probably you ate some of them and I examined them. I'm so sorry if you got sick. So they call me out and I get out and I'm in like my cute work outfit and I'm at a pig farm and they're in like rubber galoshes up to here and they look at me and you can just see them like already kind of snickering but trying to hide it and be respectful. And so I'm like, all right, what do we gotta do? They're like, well, we gotta examine the pigs. I'm like, okay. And I literally walk up and down the mud runs and I just take a stick and I just poke the pigs. Cause I don't wanna touch them. I don't wanna get in the pens with them. I don't even know what I would do if I was in the pen with them. They're screaming. And basically I literally just took a stick and just poked them. And if they moved and they were eating, they were healthy. And we just went down the line. And then this one, and then he goes, well, this one pig is sick. I'm like, oh. It is. He's like, yeah, we'd really like this one medication. I'm like, oh, well, come with my truck and see if you can find it on my truck. <laughs> all right, here you go. I left the farm. Lead us to say, I think it all went well. I didn't go back. That's a good example of, that was obviously knowledge that one point I once had, but I never intentionally made any point to get it inside of me, so I didn't have it when it came time to be tested for it. So this is a lesson on how, if we're gonna seal the character of God into the foundation of our heart, we won't just be able to listen to a series of sermons or read some books. It will take you being intentional, looking for the action and move of God around you, where he is demonstrating to you in his everyday life, in your everyday life, and only then will it be something that you never forget. So, 
Erica has taken us piece by piece through this verse, exploring, exploring who God is. And tonight, I get the privilege of finishing this section with the two attributes of God. God always perseveres, so love always perseveres, and God, love, never fails us. Now, for those of you that know both Eric and I, you know there's no way that I'll be able to deliver this message the way he would, because we're very different people. And at times in our marriage, this has been a weakness, but we now consider it a strength, because that sounds way nicer. And, but one of the many things, you know how you meet married people and they're like exactly the same? That's not ours, but one of the things I love about our marriage is I love the freedom we give each other to be exactly who God created us to be. We don't try to force each other into certain roles. In fact, we sometimes encourage each other to do things outside the traditional roles because it's more in line with who we are. And one example was uh, when I was pregnant with Scarlett, I told Eric like, well, I'm pregnant, so I guess I'm supposed to be a stay-at-home mom full time. And because your mom was, my mom was, so I'm ready to just sell all my vet stuff and do this. And Eric just kind of looked at me and with the wisdom he had, he's like, you know, because he doesn't tell me what to do, he just suggests things because he's very smart now. He's like, you know, he's like, I don't know if we should do that right now. Let's just hold off on it. I'm like, why? Why hold off on it? Let's just sell it. We're going to move on, clean slate. He's like, no, I think it'd be a good idea. I mean, He's like, I think it'd be a good idea if we held on to it. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, we'll hold on to it. Well, sure enough, a couple months after the baby's born, I'm like, oh, guess what? God doesn't want me to stay home all day long. I don't know if the baby will survive that. And I'm like, I could be really healthy for me to go out and run around in the fields and treat some horses. And Eric's like, I agree. He didn't say I told you so. He's very smart. One other funny thing, just a little thing about how opposite we can be, is this is totally the truth. If we want to order for each other, like say you go to a restaurant or you go to Starbucks or Jamba Juice or anywhere, we want to order from each other, we literally, all we have to do is order for the other person whatever looks the least desirable to us on the menu. And then that will be what the other person wants. It's totally true. Like we can look at a menu and I'll be like, okay, what looks most disgusting to me? Okay, that, that's what I got for Eric. He's like, that's my favorite and vice versa. <laughs> it's true. So I mean, no one steals my chocolate ice cream in our house. It's kind of nice. So we really do delight in each other, even though we do still want to strangle each other at times. And this kind of is, I mean, I'm leading into our topic here. Because um, I really want to, what I want to touch on, kind of leading into uh, God always perseveres, is I kind of want to touch on for a second on conflict in relationships, because I think a lot of people get really scared when they face conflict in their relationships. I think society tells us today that if your relationship is going right, then you never have conflict. Do you think that's true? Um, and so I just want to bring up two points why I don't think we should fear conflict in our relationships. First of all, I believe that a lot of couples that never experience conflict in the relationship are really just avoiding it at all costs for the sake of peace. Because conflict can inspire fear in us at what it might tell us about our relationship. Because our relationship might be more fragile than we actually want to admit. Conflicts test our relationship, right? Test our love for each other. And rather than finding out if our relationship can really pass the test and face our conflict, too many of us run from conflict at the cost of never being personally known and understood. 
Secondly, I think that a lot of couples never have conflict because they're likely never talking about the things that really matter to them. When two people really believe passionately about things in life, it's only natural to have conflict because God did not create clones. Did you know that? God did not create any of us to be clones. We're actually all individually unique human beings. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you're unique human beings and your relationship is beyond what's shallow, you're going to get to the point where you have differing opinions on things. And that's conflict, right? And I'd like to challenge you that this applies to any meaningful relationship in your life. I'm not just talking about marriage. And I'll tell you from experience, Eric and I actually, we never fought before we got married. Never. And we were really proud of it. I told him, we never fight. We love each other so, oh, you guys fight? We love each other so much. We never fight. We have nothing to argue about. We're just so in love. So we were really blessed to have our love tested after we made a covenant between ourselves and God that can never be broken. I'll tell you, it's not the easiest way to do things. So this brings me to our first character attribute for tonight. God always perseveres. Love always perseveres. And tonight, I'm gonna answer the question that we have all asked ourselves at some point. How do I know when something is true love? How do I know when something is true love? Because here's the deal. Everything that Eric has talked about so far about the character of God, that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love is not proud, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered. All those things can be faked. How many of us have had fake people in our life? How many of us have been fake? I talked about the fake photo that told something different. How many of us think that something is from God and then it doesn't work out? Was it real? It's kind of discouraging. I've had friends be fake to me. I've had family be fake to me. I've had people pretend to like me. I've had people like me for what I'm doing. I've been fake myself. In fact, I was really thinking about fakeness. We have a lot of fakeness. I was asking Eric, I was like, kind of like talking with him. I don't know, he's probably on his iPad at the same time, but uh, not just teasing. And I was like, because I'm like chattering away. And um, I was like, when have you ever been fake? Or can you think of some time when you've been fake? And he's like kind of thinking about it. And I'm like, I, the first thing pops in my mind about, I mean, I've been fake probably a lot of times, but I was actually, I was telling Eric this, he kind of thought it was unbelievable. I was like, I actually faked that I liked my first boyfriend. <laughs> what? Why would you have a boyfriend that you're faking that you liked him? I was like, I really never liked him. I was in high school and he was my first boyfriend and I really just faked it. And I didn't do it for his sake, I just did it for mine because I was kind of curious about what it would be like to have a boyfriend. And I mean, he was decent enough, but I just remember when he asked me to be his girlfriend, I remember thinking, I don't really like you in my mind, but going, okay, I guess we're going out. Remember it was going, I don't know if it's still going out, we were going out. My dad would always be like, going out where, you know? And uh, so my first boyfriend, I, I, I faked that I liked him. And I'll tell you that um, that obviously did not survive even the smallest conflict. Even right now, I don't even know how we broke up because it was so insignificant to me. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't remember. Um, 
so that being said, here's the deal, right? Everything that Eric has talked about so far can be faked. So how do we know when something is true love? Well, God can't be fake. And none of those things are God. And none of those things, fakeness, are love. Because one of the elements of love, one of the essential elements of love that we see in that passage in 1 Corinthians is that it always, always perseveres and it can withstand any test. When something is true love, nothing can make it go away. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's God. You can't throw anything at God that will keep him from persevering to you. It's impossible. So to know that love is not fake, but authentic, it has to be tested. It has to be, because otherwise it could be faked, right? Because that's the whole point of perseverance. It continues despite any test, anything that's thrown its way. You can tell someone you love them, you can have all the ingredients of love present, but until it's put through the fire, until it sees conflict, and it has proven itself, it actually doesn't add up to love. Testing is important. It's the final proving element in life, in every area of life. And if we really absorb how important it is, I don't think we'll be afraid of it. If we know what we'll have at the end is either security and authentic true love or nothing, gosh, I'd rather know that I had nothing or had authentic true love rather than live in that ugly area of not knowing if it's real love or not. When I was in vet school, I sat through hours and hours, years of lectures. I learned how to perform basic surgeries. I learned how to diagnose disease. I learned how to do exams. I learned things that Eric wishes I never learned. I mean, I can cut off testicles before you say Jiminy Cricket, surgically, <laughs> in my sleep. So he better hope I don't have a nightmare, because I can do it. But here's the deal. After all those years, of hard work, after all that stuff I learned, at the end of all of it, I actually still wasn't a veterinarian. I wasn't. I had all that knowledge, but I still wasn't a veterinarian because I had to be tested first, right? I had to be tested and then I could get a license. So it's not by accident that love always perseveres is at the end of all these descriptors of love because testing always occurs at the end. There's only one way to know, for certain, whether something is love or not. It has to make it through the fire. Through the fire. What's fire? Fire is difficult circumstances. It means crappy things happen. Every human on the face of the earth is going to have a point in their life where literally the SHT hits the fan. It happens to everybody. And if you think it will happen to you, your head is in a hole. It happens to everybody. Remember, I can't be fired, so I can say whatever I want. Um, so, it has to, and it has to persevere. That's the only way you know if it's true. And if it's not, it actually wasn't ever love. It wasn't ever love, not even in the beginning. Because perseverance is the element of love that cannot be faked. We probably overlook this aspect of love when we build relationships more than any other. I think it's because it's probably not really fun at the time. Because as long as a relationship makes us feel good in the here and now, it almost doesn't matter to us in the moment if it perseveres into our future, right? And I believe that we minimize the need for perseverance in relationships today because something inside us already knows. I really do. I think the Holy Spirit speaking to all of us 
And I think we don't want to admit the truth. I can look back on relationships and go, yeah, now when I look back on it, like I'll admit, I probably always knew it wouldn't last. But it felt good at the time. I thought I loved him. He thought he loved me. We were having a good time. And, but if I really look back and I'm like honest with myself, I'll admit that there was that little tiny voice in my head that told me this probably wasn't gonna be forever. And the sad thing is, is if I had listened to that voice more often, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache because that's what happens when love's not real. It's almost offensive in our society today to suggest that love needs to be tested. It feels very unbelieving. It feels very suspicious, right? That you would want your love to be tested. I mean, doesn't it take away from the beauty of love? Doesn't it assert that you have a lack of faith if you want your love to be tested? It actually doesn't. We as humans never really want to admit that our love failed to pass the test. Take divorce couples, for example. We all know them because half of marriages today end in divorce. Christians, non-Christians, it actually doesn't matter. Half of marriages today, I think at least half, end in divorce. So what is said to excuse the loss of love? What do we hear people say? We, say, we hear them say, well, we just grew apart or we weren't ever meant to be together. Or we blame God and say, well, it wasn't the person that God had for me. And rather than admit that our relationship couldn't persevere, it couldn't take the heat, we try to give a really pretty sounding reason. The answer to whether or not it was love can be found in this question. Are you still with that person? If the answer is no, then it was never really love. It may have looked like love, it may have felt like love, but true love always perseveres. The world teaches us that love doesn't always persevere. We have sayings such as, nothing lasts forever, and we downplay and we diminish the significance of perseverance with love in our society and our relationships. We replace old friendships with new ones, we get married, we divorce, we remarry. But when we do this, what happens is we also are minimizing the heart of God. We believe that God must feel the same way about us, that he's ready to give up, that he's ready to move on, that he's fed up, that he's at his boiling point at us. This is why so many people believe that we're saved, that we're unsaved, that we're saved again. We don't believe that God's love for us actually perseveres, but it does. That's why he died for us. That's why he paid for all our sins ahead of time. That's why his endurance for us can never run thin. God will never be fed up with you. He can't, it's not his character because love always perseveres. I have a few verses just to sum up for us or just to kind of highlight for you how God always perseveres because he tells us multiple times in his word. In Hebrews 13, five, it says, never will I leave you or forsake you, never. Second Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. So guess what that says? That says, regardless of what we do, he still perseveres. John 10.28, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So that was God always perseveres. You ready for another one? Okay, so the final character trait, I might even do a dance when we finish the series, 
is that love never fails. God never fails. The literal Greek translation of love never fails is true love is never without effect. I love that. True love is never without effect. So that means if you have God in your life, you will see an effect from it. Your life actually can't stay the same because true love will always have an effect. And God is true love and God never fails. I have a homework assignment for all of you. It's really easy. Go home and read Psalm 136. It's a Psalm of gratitude. I was actually gonna read it to you guys, but it's on my iPhone, which is in the back with Jake. So I'm not gonna read it to you, <laughs> but you can read it to yourself. But it tells, that's good for you. Um, but over and over and over again, all the Psalm says over and over again is, we give thanks to the Lord of Lords. Your love never fails. We give thanks to Jesus our King. Your love never fails. It just reiterates it over and over again. First John 4, 16 says, God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So I thought, okay, God never fails, love never fails. Well, what are some examples of that? What is some tangible meat that I can put my teeth into? Well, God never fails because his love never comes to an end. If God is love and God never ends, right? God has no ending, God has no beginning, then love can never end. So he can never fail us because his love never ever ends. Hebrews 13:5 says, never will I leave you or forsake you. His love never fails us. This is an interesting thing. We know that God never fails because his love, who he is, he sees our heart. And I just wanna say a little something now about the heart of God and how it relates to the gift of prophecy. I grew up in, I did grow up going to church, um, but I grew up in a church that we never talked about prophecy. Um, I think if we heard about it in passing, it was kind of something that happened during the Bible times and not something happened now. So I never really learned about it. In fact, I remember once when I was a little girl in Sunday school, we did a, like a spiritual gifts test and I ranked pretty high on the prophecy and I asked the teacher about it and she goes, oh, that's an old one, you know? It's back in the day, I was like, that was interesting. And the thing, the last couple of years, I've kind of learned a lot about prophecy. And here's the deal. Prophecy, giving a prophetic word for someone, is not being a psychic. It's not having connection with God that he's only gives to certain people. It's not one of many things in a spiritual formula where you have to get all the elements correct in order for you to be able to give or receive a word. Prophecy is actually seeing into God's heart for somebody. Prophetic words overflow from love of people. Love of people is where revelation comes from. And God's heart, what is it overflowing with? It's overflowing with his love for people. There's an author we've kind of used as a reference for some of these talks. His name is Darren Hufford. And he wrote a really interesting story in his book um, about this experience he had. He had this woman that worked in an office with him. And he really, really, really wanted to give her a revelatory word. He wanted to give her a prophetic word. He wanted to so badly. He knew she needed it. And he really wanted to give it. And he talks about how he did all the steps right. He said all the right words. He laid his hands the right way. Maybe he dimmed the lights. I don't know. Played some worship music in the background. He said he did all the right things. And he always came up empty. 
he never had a word for her. And he said it wasn't until he loved this person the way that God loved this person that he was able to see inside this person's heart. Because love sees the heart of a person. One of the easiest persons for me to love is my daughter, Scarlett. Super easy. And I can see when she's, I can see nuances in her emotions. I can see when she's feeling a little frustrated about something, or maybe she's feeling a little shy, which is hardly ever, or she's feeling like super excited about something. And I can see all these things in a way that maybe my friends wouldn't be able to see all those nuances in her emotions. And I see it all, not really because I'm her mother, but because I'm so in love with her. The very fact that God knows and sees everything in us is evidence of his continuous and never failing love for us. The very fact that God knows us and sees us is evidence for his never failing love for us. You can be in the presence of a person and never know anything about them, right? But once you're in love with someone, you start to have vision about who they really are. So I just wanna encourage you that if you're ever praying for someone and you feel like you're not getting any revelation for them, you shouldn't be fo focusing on having a prophetic word or having a revelation for them. Maybe you should be focusing on loving them because it's out of God's love that comes the prophetic words. That's God's heart for us. One thing I thought was really cool, I can give you guys some more passages for those of you that want extra homework to credit, is that when you look through the Bible, almost every time you see Jesus perform a miracle in the Bible, it actually precedes that by telling us about how God felt about that person. It actually kind of shared God's heart before the wham, bam miracle. In Matthew 24, it says, Jesus felt compassion for them, and then he touched their eyes, and they were able to see again. Same with Luke 7, talks about how Jesus feels compassion Matthew 9 has more examples. So it talks about, it's not about the flash at the end, that it all comes from God's heart. It comes from his love for us. So when we're talking about God's all-consuming love for us, how he is love, and we need to love others before we can see their hearts, here's the flip side. This is gonna be tough for some of you. If you can't receive love, your love will actually eventually run dry and you'll have no more love to give. Because we as human beings, we actually are incapable of loving every single person. And if any of you work in the public sector, you'll pass an amen to that. <laughs> yes, because I deal with the public too. All by myself, really hard to love these people. So we need God in order to be able to love all people, right? So we have to receive from God. Well, what's the, one of the main ways that God loves to give to us is through other people, right? The Bible says that God meets all of our needs. But when you look around you, you look at what's in the Bible, you look at what's around you in our community, how does God meet all our needs? I would bet you that most of the time, it's through another person. A really easy example is to think of missionaries, people that are, um, you know, Missionaries in the sense of people that feel called to move to another country and spend their lives, dedicate their lives to bringing those people to Christ. And so they have basic needs, they have financial needs that need to be met in order for them to do this calling. Well, they pray to God, they ask for God to fulfill those needs. 
Well, guess how does God most of the time fill those needs? It's through his people, right? So we have to be able to receive love in order to give love. But here's the deal. I think a lot of us might struggle with receiving help. And I think there are those of us, I would challenge those of you, that if you have trouble receiving help, if you don't really want to receive help from people, you probably aren't able to love people that well. Because you can't. I can give you a good example for us. Most recently, uh, almost a year and a half ago, our darling daughter Scarlett was born, and she rocked our world, and it wasn't in a good way. (laughs) We actually thought, our world was ruined, to be perfectly honest. It was really, really hard. She was a tough newborn. We were in la-la land about what we were expecting, and all those elements combined, we were pretty broken people. And we, got, we received help from so many amazing people in our community, and we both can say, I can personally say that never at any other time in my life have I seen Jesus' heart as vividly as I did when I saw people helping us. Never. And I am one of those people that the majority of my life has been spent refusing help. Because if I felt like if I accepted help, I was weak. I felt like if I accepted help, my pride would be wounded. Because I am like all about independent women. I'm all about it. And I never want to help from anyone because I can do it on my own. And so I went my whole life refusing help. But I totally learned through that circumstance, that when I receive help, I'm actually receiving God's heart for me and actually is empowering me to give out more love. So you're not weak when you receive help. You're not weak when you give help. So it's something to think about. So I continued contemplating these different aspects of God's character and specifically specifically that love never fails. And I realized that believing that God never fails us can be essentially a trust issue. Because I can tell you all day long that God never fails, but you have to believe it. You're the one that has to trust him in it. And how do you know you can trust God? How do you trust God? As a society, we're surrounded by tornadoes of anxiety and self-doubt and unrest. People think you're crazy if you're not worried about something all the time. I have people that actually get visibly irritated with me when I suggest to them that I'm actually not worried about it. I don't know if you've ever had that. You have people actually get kind of angry because it kind of points to their own uh, anxiety. So can God be trusted? I'm trying to be nice. So here's the deal. We transfer the way we trust others and the situations around us to the way we trust God. We know we're supposed to trust God, but do we really? We know that God is not supposed to fail us, but do we live our lives that way? And I think this is the crux of the problem. We forget about who we are in God's eyes. We forget about what we were created to do. We forget that we have a Father in heaven that knew us before we were even formed in the womb. I found this really awesome passage in Jeremiah. It's chapter one, verses six through 10. And this is so cool. This is Jeremiah talking to God and God talking to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah goes to, he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. 
and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth, and he said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And I just love this, because what we have here is we have Jeremiah. He's voicing his hesitation and fear to God. He's saying, he's talking to the God of the galaxies, and he's saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. You hear fear in that. You hear hesitation. You hear anxiety. You hear worry. And the God of the galaxies, he reaches out, and he touches Jeremiah's mouth. And it's this gentle, affectionate move that is something that really only a loving parent would do. And I learned from that, that when we feel fear, when we feel like we can't trust God, we need to speak it out loud to God. I think so often we can feel ashamed that we are fearful in a situation, or we feel ashamed that we're not totally trusting of a situation, because that seems like we're being less of a Christian, right? But this example in the Word is of Jeremiah, and he's showing us how we need to respond when we feel that way. We need to speak it out loud to God. We don't need to hide it within ourselves to fester. Because when you allow fear to hide in yourself to fester, that's not what God wants to do, that's what the enemy wants you to do. And this is a God who loves us and he longs for us to love him back. And so to implement in your life, I, I feel like I'm a step-by-step person, I'm an analytical person. And so I thought, well, if I'm in a situation where I feel fear and mistrust, because we're all gonna feel that at some point, we know the truth in our foundation, but we can still feel these emotions. So what would I do? Well, the first thing I would do is I'd do what Jeremiah did, and I would tell God how I felt. I would just tell him how I felt and be honest with him. Hey, God, you're my father. You created me. You know, you know who I'm created to be, but this is how I feel right now. The second thing I would do is then declare his promises over my life. It's the whole point of having a foundation, right? Is we have all these promises that are true and they're in our hearts and we declare them over our hearts. We can say them out loud. We can read them. I have some taped to my bathroom mirror and whenever I'm feeling kind of doubt, whenever I'm feeling some anxiety, I actually just make myself, even while I'm brushing my teeth, read those out loud. And thirdly, to walk forward and deliberately in who you are called to be. Because fear in itself isn't a bad thing. It's nothing actually to be ashamed of but it's when we allow it to keep us from fulfilling God's purposes for our lives, that's when it's a tool used by the enemy. All the great men of God, you can look through the Bible and see areas where they had fear, but there's different ways of conquering fear, right? There's giving it to God and moving forward, and there's holding the fear inside and allowing the enemy to use it to kind of minimize, uh, minimize us and keep us down. God's love for you doesn't change based on how good or how bad you are. It doesn't shine brighter when you're doing his call. It doesn't dim when you're doing really crappy. It shines constantly. You can count on it never changing. Why? Because God is love and his love can never run out. Everywhere you go, he is there. Hebrews 13:5. never will I leave you nor forsake you. Every time you speak, he hears your voice. He created you and he has counted that cost. He'll complete what he has started with the power of his love. To think or wonder whether or not God will bring you to the place he promised is to believe that love fails. To think or wonder, will God actually ever bring me to where he promised is you're believing that love never fails. And we know that's not true. He's not only the author of love, but he's the meaning of love so that we can be secure in him. I thought that was pretty cool. So 
that's kind of finishing up our series. And I appreciate you guys listening so attentively. And thanks for having me up here. Thank <laughs> you.